from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Uh, we are going to do a program today on data privacy. Following up uh, an episode about a month or so ago now as the Facebook testimony hit Congress, and I talked on that episode in the monologue uh, about data privacy, who's been tracking us and how, kind of dating all the way back to uh, newspapers, the first publications. They knew who they were distributing them out to. They were providing demographics to their advertisers. This is not new. It may be different now with the internet, uh, but even with the advent of uh, credit cards and electronic banking transactions, uh, the information being collected has been uh, becoming more comprehensive for a, a number of years. It's not just the last 20 as the internet boom has really taken off. You can listen to that full perspective uh, via our website at www.cybertalkradio.com, our YouTube channel, uh, iTunes podcasts or pocket casts or whatever else you would like to choose in your Android device. Now, today's program, we're going to talk about what can you do to reasonably protect your data privacy uh, without making your life miserable. Um, and I'll start off with the, well, how do I just stop people from collecting my information, period. So this starts to get really complicated. And it becomes, if you want to actually follow the laws, impossible. If you work in the U.S., you're required to file tax returns. If you uh, work for a specific business, let's say you're even an independent contractor, so you're not getting a, a paycheck every few weeks. You're an independent contractor, but if you do more than $500 of business with someone, you're required to get a 1099 from them and file one. So as you start to look at where you make money, where you are during your work day, all of those pieces are all tracked. Uh, now they're tracked by the government. Uh, you, you may say, well, that's just the government. They're going to have all the information on me. This is not any tracking of the private sector. But if you're going to get paid from a, a business, they're most often going to write you a check that's you may get paid in cash, but you're more likely going to get a, a check, probably an electronic check these days if it's a more modern business, or they may pay you via credit card. As you look through there, uh, just the, the act of wage earning and commerce uh, is going to require you to give up some of your privacy. And if you wanted to try to save up some money, uh, go register an LLC in some of the states that allow some obfuscation, buy a plot of land with that LLC, farm yourself, get your 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 own electricity, all the rest of you need to sustain, you you may be able to mostly drop off the map. Um, you could be living on this property owned by an LLC where they can't track the ownership back through any public database, but there's private databases still that's going to know who bought that and how uh, the real estate uh, transaction is going to be recorded. So a complete privacy in today's day and age is not something that's feasibly possible. So you go, okay, well, Brett, I get it. What are some things I can do to try to make my life better and to try to change the incentives of uh, some of these companies from collecting all the information they can about me and, and monetizing and selling it? So the, the businesses out there are trying to sell uh, and collect an accurate representation of you, your behavior, what you're going to do, how your behavior can be influenced, um, and then they want to be able to sell 
the information in a way to people that are going to use it to influence you uh, for good or for bad. Um, and it might be for good if they're informing you of uh, a new drug treatment that can help cure some condition you have. Uh, you would say that this is good to find out about that. Uh, now, you, you could say if it was uh, someone else advertising something that's legal but unhealthy, that might be bad. So they're using that information to influence you because they know, you, you know what, I, I really like a certain type of candy. And if I was getting advertisements for it all the time everywhere, I would likely buy more of it. Um, now, I don't think anyone's going to go candy's good for you. Uh, there was a, a researcher in Wisconsin that, that did, I think, lived off of Hostess Twinkies for a few years. Nothing but Twinkies and uh, vitamin supplements to prove that what you eat may not actually need to be so diverse uh, that just calories in with my vitamins and minerals equals health. But I think we'll save the real medical research for other programs. But if you're thinking about this data privacy, so you can do things to intentionally obfuscate your profile and make it inconsistent or incomplete. One easy tip for everyone is to either add an advertisement blocker into your web browser uh, or use a web browser such as Brave, uh, which is designed with privacy in mind and privacy first. And by turning off those advertisements, you're blocking the ability for those folks to collect information on you. Uh, now, in order to really slow the collection down, uh, you can try disabling JavaScript in your browser by default and then only turning it on on websites where you absolutely explicitly want to grant the permission to it. This is going to make your web browsing experience uh, a little bit challenging. One of those things, like I, I mentioned at the start of the program, if you want to make money, you're going to be giving up some privacy in order to do that, uh, or you're going to be breaking laws, one of the two. So similar on the internet, there's not a law that's going to get broken, but if you turn off JavaScript, many websites are just not going to work or they're going to look really weird, uh, and you're going to have to give up some privacy in order to allow the website to function. This is where uh, some of the more sophisticated tools, uh, whether it's the Brave browser or certain ad blockers, they can block specific JavaScript code and not all the JavaScript for the website. So um, kind of blunt force instrument, just turn it all off by default. Uh, but then there's uh, more nuanced ways to filter uh, and try to block some of the tracking JavaScript that's out there. Now with the GDPR um, going into effect here back in May. I'm sure everyone has seen, if you've used the internet, a pop-up about cookies and what kind of cookies and lots of checks boxes with cookies. So cookies are different from, it's a different way that you're being tracked. Uh, these get saved into your browser and then your browser shares that information with other websites as you visit them so that, that they can see that, hey, you were the same person that visited this different website and now you visited this other one and they can add that all information together. So with the, the cookies, you can block those with your browser as well. Um, you can disable cookies on sites. Uh, some of these things, again, will break websites. So many of them um, use cookies to store session information to uh, store a login ticket. So if, you, if this is a website where you have to sign in, if you block cookies on that website, you may not be able to stay signed in. So it'll just drop you back out to the authentication page again. So these are, are all these areas where you go, you know what, this is nefarious. They're doing it out of evil. They're forcing me to, to give up my privacy in order to use the service. And it, in a way they are. And, and in another way though, it's not practical for them to operate and prove your authentication without something like that cookie. If they don't deploy that authentication token in the cookie out to your browser, it becomes 
possible for security exploits for other people to hijack your sessions and do uh, other bad things that you wouldn't like to have happen either. So uh, like your banking websites will have uh, an authentication token that's going to get deployed as a cookie. So if you sign out there, if you block cookies, then it will sign you out. And they're doing that because they don't want someone to hijack your session and be able to then... Uh, move money out of your bank account or write a check to somebody else or initiate a wire transfer. So these are all all areas in there where uh, it's necessary in a way to give up some privacy in order to uh, have security, safety, and functionality. Now, you, you could opt out of using the Internet altogether, and you're going to eliminate those tracking vectors from your life. Uh, but it's starting to become uh, more complicated as well uh, as many of the services from an efficiency perspective are moving online uh, and offering preferential treatment to online. Uh, and really, uh, I think we will see uh, over time certain, uh, at least private sector businesses, will choose to go online only. You will not be able to interact with them uh, any way other than online. And I guess we already have some pure e-commerce businesses out there uh, where you can't even call them on a phone and order from them. You have to just go into a web browser. And so you could choose to go down to the public library, I guess, log in from one of their computers. You could use a prepaid Visa card uh, or MasterCard, so a prepaid credit card, and you could purchase those things, and you could ship it to a, a P.O. box where you um, have that registered in a, the name of an LLC from a state where you uh, can keep the privacy of the owners and officers and directors of that LLC, uh, so, I mean, you could go through a, a significant s set of hurdles in order to try to maintain privacy. Now, if you, you go through that and let's say you were going to ship that package using the prepaid visa card to a PO box registered by an LLC, you're also going to trip off a whole bunch of fraud alerts and warnings. Like, so the chance that your package actually gets shipped pretty low, especially if it's going to, uh, anonymousbob at gmail.com, or that's probably actually someone's email address, but something along those lines. It's an anonymous email address to this LLC, to a P.O. box with a prepaid card. These are all things that in the system, they say that this person or this entity is so privacy paranoid, we're going to mark it as an increased fraud risk. And this is, is other ways that the system forces you to trade privacy for functionality. Now, I mean, on the, the flip side of that, this stuff is not done out of malice uh, in order to force us to give up privacy. This is uh, done with a usability and security trade-off. And these are, are ones that, that we've consciously made kind of throughout history where uh, we could go into lots of stories back about the first identification and, and proof of who you are and building a trust and, uh, trusted reputation uh, it, this isn't new to the internet. This is not new to, uh, America and our credit reporting system and things that are in place here now. Um, uh, credit goes way back and that credit is based off of trust, reputation, and a sharing of data with the, the party you're looking to provide credit with all the way back to the, the beginning of merchant trade. So you look at, at the avoiding the internet piece, you could do that. Uh, let's say, you know what, I'm going to, uh, just pay for everything with cash in all of my commerce. So instead of, of having a credit card or my bank card or using checks or things that are trackable, I'm going to go ahead and pay cash. I would ask um, anyone just to go try to do that for a couple of weeks uh, and see how how well that goes. Uh, and, and this is one where, like, are you really going to feel safe carrying 
$900 of cash in your pocket to go uh, register uh, your kids for summer camp or pay their daycare bill for the month or um, you're going to pay your mortgage in cash. So you're going to get $4,000 or $2,000 or whatever the number is out of your bank account and you're going to go figure out how to go pay cash for that somewhere else. Uh, or maybe you're not going to have a bank account. You're going to, I'm just going to use cash. And I don't even want a bank knowing how much money's going in and out. Um, and I'll just use a check cashing service for when I, I get paid. Uh, this all becomes, as you, you start to look through it, it all becomes pretty complicated, time consuming and not practical anymore. So these are, are spots where it's not just on the internet where you're trading privacy for, um, free services, where you're trading privacy for convenience all across our lives. We're trading privacy for convenience we're trading privacy for efficiency and and this is is one where as, as we talk through all of these things uh, I think folks are going okay well Brett yeah you're telling me a bunch of stuff I already know um, I just I guess I, I should just give up but I mean you can do things and then as I mentioned a little bit to obfuscate things and, and we'll we'll talk some more uh, in details in the second half of the program about one of the tips beyond using a browser on the internet side of things I can do uh, to obfuscate things but so back on the on the the talk for cash versus credit cards so I think there's a, a happy medium there um, where potentially for um, small purchases or purchases out of your normal pattern if you wanted to obfuscate those use cash for that um, get a little bit of cash out. You're not making a significant trade of safety and privacy. You're not carrying around thousands of dollars of cash on you. If the event that you have a safety or security issue, that cash is gone. Uh, it's not going to come back. If you're using a credit card for payment on things, uh, you have not only the safety. If somebody steals that credit card, you can call and cancel it immediately. The credit card's got fraud protection built into it. Um, but you also uh, get um, dispute protection with a merchant. If you buy something and pay cash for it, um, good luck getting the person that you paid cash to, to give that back to you um, unless they decide and choose to, where in the, the credit card world, you've got some more opportunities there where you can call your, your credit card company and they'll negotiate uh, or just uh, stop the payment and charge it back on your behalf. So as you, you go through, uh, we've talked about the financial side of stuff a bit now. We've hit on the internet, the step one, just good ad blocker, a privacy first browser such as Brave. So now let's go in and look at uh, healthcare where we're trading privacy for quality of care. Uh, so if you show up at the doctor's office and you say, my head hurts, and you're not willing to share any medical history, um, they can run some new tests, try to figure things out, but you're putting them in a spot where it's difficult for them to diagnose and, and uh, provide things properly. Uh, if you show up and say, my stomach hurts, and you go, they don't know what you ate, you won't share any information with them, you're going to trade some privacy with your doctor so they can diagnose your condition and help you. From a medical record perspective, going back, if you end up in an emergency room, um, you've had an accident, it sure would be nice for the medical staff there to have a, a pretty complete medical history for you, at least understanding some of the, the basic things of uh, what was your blood pressure uh, before you started bleeding significantly? Because now it's not going to be high, but like, should they be trying to get you back to a normal healthy blood pressure? Did you have high blood pressure before? Are you on blood pressure medication? Are you on a blood thinner for blood clots? Are you? There's all sorts of information that would help them if you're, again, giving up some privacy 
to increase the the quality of care and the the efficiency of the care that you're going to get on the the healthcare side. So uh, this is is one where everyone has this. Uh, I feel like kind of a overreaction of I want complete privacy and sharing information is bad and other people knowing things about me is bad. It's not always bad. Uh, there's lots of reasons that it is is actually beneficial. Uh, now, I mean, do you want your medical history as a public document? No. Um, and, and this is where rules and regulations have been put in place to uh, in, to attempt to protect those records um, and uh, to protect and keep them confidential. And uh, folks that have had medical record breaches have been held accountable with fines. Maybe you believe those fines and other things are not severe enough or the regulations are not severe enough, the controls they're required are not severe enough. Um, but I, I don't think anyone would say that we want doctors performing medical treatment without any medical history. Uh, so I think that that's a, a an idea where if you're going that direction, uh, you're going to be off on a pretty lonely island by yourself. The whole idea, I think, on the quality of care is to get a complete medical history together uh, and, a, and an accurate medical history together so that better quality decisions can be made. And uh, I think many of us uh, are are guilty of this. We don't have a consistent doctor for years. We don't have a consistent medical record when we switch doctors or move cities. Or uh, if you go to a doctor or a medical clinic when you're on vacation, um, you don't bring those records back and share them with your doctor. Uh, so most of us already have a um, – we've accidentally uh, obfuscated our medical records. Um, and, and this is what you can do across – uh, many of the other areas as well is um, separating your data out uh, to where different data providers and data collectors and um, services have a partial and incomplete record of you. Um, and that limits the value of it um, to them. It minimizes the accuracy of their targeting. Uh, and in those areas where this these information is being passively collected, you're not trying to directly trade it uh, for convenience or ease of use uh, that you're staying in, in the pool of individuals or businesses uh, that are not the most efficient target. Um, so if, if I'm targeting advertising, I want uh, and, and I want that advertising to be effective. And if I'm selling a, an audience uh, to someone, I want to sell the most accurate, high quality audience I can sell because then the, the advertiser will see success in their campaign and they'll continue to advertise with me. Um, if if I include a bunch of candidates in an audience that I'm not sure or my confidence uh, level is lower uh, that they're the right person to advertise to, uh, then that advertising is not going to be as effective with the advertiser and and they're not going to be as likely to, to run another campaign with me or uh, across all these other areas where information is being used in a way where you would say, you know what, I, I don't directly consent to this. I'm not sharing this directly for my own personal benefit. Uh, you, you don't have to be perfect here. Um, you don't have to have uh, complete privacy um, and you don't have to share no information. You just need to share enough that you're not the most likely one to be included in a targeting audience. Uh, now you say, you know what? Well, this is on me. I can do all of this myself. I can control it. Uh, and then we can look back at the laws again. So uh, whether you, you like it or not, you're going to fill out a census here in America or you're going to break a law. So we've got the, the census coming up here in, in uh, 2020. 
Uh, we're going to, uh, we do that every decade. Uh, and you're going to fill that out and you're going to provide some demographic information or you're going to break laws again. So now from a, a, an accuracy and audience targeting perspective, I can look at a given zip code and I can see the demographics in that zip code. And I can send direct mail as an advertiser to that zip code. So uh, you're going to be the recipient of some targeted advertising, uh, whether you choose to avoid it or not, in all of the things you can do while still following all the laws of the land. If you want to go out and break laws, um, you can become a, a, a criminal uh, and you can have increased data privacy. Uh, but without uh, doing that, uh, this are some of the things that we've uh, agreed as uh, citizens of the U.S. to give up. And if you don't like having to give up this information, this is something to write your uh, congressperson about, something to write your senator about, uh, something to uh, write your state representative, uh, your uh, city council, your county offices, because um, in different states, uh, you're required to turn over different amounts of information to uh, city, county, state, and then ultimately all up to the federal government uh, in order to be a resident of that city, uh, a resident of that county or state, or a, a citizen or even a, a resident alien uh, of the United States. So we're getting ready to uh, head into a bottom-of-the-hour break for a news, traffic, and weather update. You're listening to CyberTalk Radio, and uh, I'm the host, Brett Pyatt. We're talking about data privacy, uh, and this is not just online on the Internet security data privacy. This is your holistic privacy, and the, the short version of the first half of the program is you're going to have to give up some privacy uh, to reside here in America or you're going to be breaking laws. And from there, I think there are things you can do to um, minimize the, the data sharing uh, that you need to do and do it in a way that will allow you to still efficiently use services out there. So after we return from that break, I'll talk about some of the things I personally do. And this is coming from an informed um, consumer uh, perspective um, and from a, the perspective of someone, though, that uh, needs to be uh, out there um, in a quasi-public manner in front of uh, society. So I've got a Twitter profile. You can find me there at B. Pyatt. Um, I have a Facebook page uh, that uh, I post a, a number of things publicly. I post some things to friends only. I post some things to even a more restricted audience there. So services like Facebook give you pretty granular uh, controls on the information you're going to choose to share. So uh, we will uh, be back here in a moment. If you uh, just tuned on at 1200 WAI, uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this. Uh, it'll go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday here after our broadcast on Saturday night. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube or iTunes. And we will be right back.
Electronic files and digital data are the lifeblood of many businesses, with ransomware, malware, and global networks of criminal hackers who can attack and destroy from anywhere in the world. These files and data are now under constant threat. Here are three tips on how businesses can protect their data. 1. Begin with an encrypted off-site data backup. 2. Establish an active network defense against criminal hackers. 3. Secure your data when it travels outside of your office. All three steps are required to build an active security shield as sophisticated and multi-layered as the threat themselves. Learn more on CyberTalkRadio.com, brought to you by Jungle Disk. Safe from accidents, safe from attacks, only with Jungle Disk, the number one data security suite for Main Street. Jungle Disk provides network security and backup solutions to shield your critical business data from system failure, human error, and cyber attacks. Reach out to learn more at jungledisc.com and let us know you heard about Jungle Disc on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Uh, we're talking data privacy this week uh, and uh, going through uh, some of the spots where folks are saying, you know what, we just shouldn't have to give up any of our privacy. In the, the first half of the program, we talked uh, about uh, one tip, use a, a quality ad blocker or a, a browser that's privacy first like Brave when you're browsing the internet. Um, you can minimize some of the tracking there. You can at least make more informed decisions. Um, Brave is nice about popping up and even just showing you the different things that are getting filtered out so you can have some awareness of uh, what's going on out there while you're on the Internet. But in many other areas of your life, I think uh, you're going to want to continue to uh, give up some privacy in exchange for higher quality services. So uh, if you missed the first half, you can listen to the rebroadcast of that. Uh, it'll be up on our website on Tuesday at www.cybertalkradio.com, uh, on iTunes uh, or Pocket Casts or any other podcasting for an Android device uh, youtube uh, you can find CyberTalk radio on twitter at CyberTalk radio or on facebook we have a page there as well even on linkedin if you uh, depending on which of these social networks you've decided to uh, give up some privacy so that you can uh, use and get the benefit of learning understanding and growing so here i uh, told you if you you did stick with us through that news traffic and weather update uh, you would get to hear some of the things that i do in my life to try to maintain a, a bit of an obfuscated record and to maximize my my own efficiency while sharing, I think, in, in a way that hopefully does not make me the primary target for uh, a significant amount of advertisement or uh, other things designed to manipulate or exploit you based off of information uh, that organizations have about you. I don't pay for everything with cash. Uh, I do try to consistently use one credit card. Uh, I do try to maintain most of my uh, financial relationships with a, a single uh, banking entity to just minimize there the amount of folks that have access to information. Now, 
Another strategy in that space on the financial side is to spread things out across a whole bunch of different entities. So get a car loan with one place, get a home mortgage with somewhere else, go ahead and uh, have your checking account with one bank, your savings account with another bank, and your credit card with somebody else. So uh, you've got a whole bunch of banks that all have a little bit of incomplete information about you. You're not having to manage too much overhead uh, for all of that these days. You, you can go that route. Uh, I've personally chosen most of my stuff is is with a single organization. And, and I, I think about some of that through uh, the security and privacy controls they have for me and for my ability to do my own uh, fraud and attack monitoring. If I had stuff scattered all over the place, it's a significant amount more work for me to go back and double check all those different ones where um, getting a clean and consolidated statement each month I'll, and knowing that, again, only one organization has a profile on me instead of a number having partial, that's the choice that I've made on that financial side of things. As you, you And then I'll pull out cash, many microtransactions, things that are under $20. I'll pay cash for those. Just, uh, again, you're out there looking at, at what is a, um, what are you doing to minimize and to make some of the data about you inaccurate. Um, or incomplete. And you don't have to make it perfectly inaccurate or perfectly incomplete. You just have to be in that spot where you're not going to be one of the mainstream people that are going to be most likely to end up in a a targeted audience. Moving from the financial side of stuff, we'll go back onto the internet and the technology realm here for a little bit. So if you've used that good quality browser on your computer, uh, your potentially use a a different browser on your mobile phone. And if you're doing that, you're going to create two separate online views of of what you look like. And you you may even want to use multiple browsers on a single computer. So it's pretty easy to install Google Chrome, Microsoft Internet Explorer. If you're on a Windows computer, it's going to come on there. The Microsoft Edge browser. If you're on an Apple device, you're going to have Safari. Uh, You can add Brave on all those operating systems. And you could choose to browse certain websites with different browsers. And you say, well, you know what? I'm just going to use the the private browsing session or the the incognito mode. When you, you do that, you're still sending a browser string that says, here's the version of the browser I'm on. Here's the version of operating system I'm on. Here's the IP address I'm coming from, by the way. So even if you go into incognito mode and I'm running a website where I'm tracking different things, I'm going to know that it's likely you. And and again, you're reducing the confidence that it's you. Uh, You may be able to avoid being in a target audience because of that. It's also one where you can have a, a... high confidence uh, from a a tracking perspective side of things. So consider using multiple different browsers for different things to spread that profile out. And it's not, there's not that much you're giving up there. Certain websites you may need a browser plugin for, but many of the websites you're out there, you you don't need them. Uh, The the second one related to that, while you're out there uh, browsing the internet, um, only log in to websites or to a a broad website authentication like a Google profile uh, if you need to be logged in. If you don't need to be logged in, don't browse the internet logged in. One of the, again, simple ways to do that is if maybe you need to be logged into your Google account because you use Gmail, um, you need to be logged into your Google account because that's where your calendar's at, or you need to be logged into your Microsoft account because you've, you're have you on Office 365 for your email, uh, and you've got your calendar and things there. So you, you may be logged into one of those broad accounts Um, in a certain browser, but go ahead and restrict those activities uh, to that browser where you need to be logged in. Uh, And then if you're browsing a news website or other things, uh, 
you that you don't need your mail login and your sort of internet identity to be available in that browser session, make sure that it's not by just having a, a separate web browser where you do that. And it's almost easier to just separate browsers out uh, than it is to open up incognito tabs that's against or private browsing tabs that still have their own um, different security challenges with them as well. The other one that's been popular these days, everyone's saying, well, I should just use uh, Tor, which is the Onion router. There's a browser for that. And, and this is a, a way to obfuscate your IP address and some of your other connections on there. Doing that will increase your privacy in some areas and will also um, get you in, into a spot where um, just like some of the financial things we talked about uh, before the break in, into a spot where they increased fraud uh, risk, uh, increased potential profile and monitoring. So if you, you show up at my website through a, a Tor exit node, I may try to do other behavioral tracking to figure out who you are and track you all the way back through that Tor network. Um, to identify you. We're not going to go into uh, all the depths of that on the program here today, um, but this is, is one where um, just going through something like Tor does not completely obfuscate you. Um, it may actually get you into a spot where your website or uh, other internet infrastructure you're visiting in increases the monitoring on you in order to be able to track things. Related to that are these uh, are VPN services. A VPN service can be great for security, uh, it can stop other people that are on the local network, whether it's an actual hacker on the network directly or an exploited computer uh, on your network, which virtually puts the hacker on that network. It, it can prevent uh, those folks from being able to eavesdrop on you. It can prevent those folks from being able to see where you're going and what's going on with your connection. But similar to Tor, it's not going to completely obfuscate things and it may increase your tracking uh, through other methods uh, by the the sites and, and infrastructure that you're visiting now uh, i personally use vpn services on a fairly regular basis i don't really ever use tor um, we we do have for this uh, program our, our tagline is uh, from the dark web to your radio dial uh, there's lots of things out there in the dark web that are criminal and in that Tor world, there's lots of, of bad things going on. So uh, just supporting the operation of that infrastructure, I think it, people argue, well, it gets used by activists in countries with hostile governments and other things. Look, there's some small amount of good out there and, and I'm a privacy advocate in general. I think that it's one where everyone should be informed and making conscious decisions to uh, exchange privacy for convenience and security and safety. Uh, so I think those are those are all good, but the, the, the use of the Tor network for really terrible activity outweighs the use of the Tor network for legitimate reasons to enhance privacy. So pick a VPN service or a handful of VPN services. Now, some of the things those VPN services can do as well for you is add additional layers of security filtering in. So uh, inspecting your web traffic for malware, uh, inspecting your web traffic for uh, coin mining JavaScript or all sorts of other things that are happening these days and blocking that before it gets to your computer. Um, these are some of the things that a security and privacy first browser like Brave can help with or some of the ad blockers also will help to strip and clean some of that information out. On the previous episode where we talked about data privacy, I talked about uh, the domain name service for a little bit, uh, DNS. So this is how computers translate the names that you type into your browser into the numbers that computers need to get from point A to point B. Your DNS provider gets a ton of information about you. They'll see this 
this is you're doing most of your internet browsing from your home or from your place of work or from your favorite coffee shop. And you may think that you're only sharing with your DNS provider just the request for what website are you going to visit or and and those sorts of things. But if, if I'm a sophisticated DNS operator um, and I see that uh, your computer was at your house and let's say you had five browser tabs open for five websites and then 45 minutes later, a computer shows up at this coffee shop and it goes to fetch the IP address for those five websites again. Um, and I know that that coffee shop's within 15 minutes of where the house was uh, that you were at home from. I can, just as a DNS provider, pretty clearly see, you know what, that's probably the same person. Uh, now, not 100% likelihood, but now if you're one of those folks that has 117 browser tabs open to a whole bunch of different websites, and there was a web browser with 117 browser tabs, and you went from your house to a coffee shop 15 or 20 minutes away, and open that same computer back up and all those browser tabs all had to go back and issue DNS requests again. I can have with a very high likelihood that you are the same person now and then I can see what you were doing at the, what you're browsing at the coffee shop versus what you're browsing at your house. Uh, and same thing on through if you take that computer into the office and, and through there. So this is one where you could switch DNS providers up all the time. Um, that gets a little tricky and complicated. Uh, this is again, one of those speed trade-offs versus privacy things. Uh, so what do I do in this scenario? Um, I will use one DNS provider at home. Um, I hard code my devices so but via DHCP. Um, this is the dynamic way that your computers get assigned IP addresses. So my router at home is configured to set up and use one uh, DNS provider that I don't believe will is likely to be used by the coffee shops that I'm going to or the other places. And then at work, I'm using a third separate DNS provider on my, my work computer. I have administrative access. So uh, I have uh, a specific DNS provider set there. It's hard coded. I don't even accept the one that we issue via DHCP at the office. Uh, and this way I'm, I'm breaking my, my DNS request history up into a few different spots. Now, I use my mobile device quite a bit. Um, in that world, you're going to get your DHCP from your cell provider. Um, it's very difficult or even potentially impossible, uh, depending on the phone operating system you're running, to even change your your DNS uh, in the mobile world. With Android, you can. It, it's not easy. Um, depending on your Android edition, you may need developer mode turned on. Um, these are all other things uh, that... You're, you're taking the training wheels and some of the safety and security off again. Uh, there was uh, just an article I read recently, folks, that have, uh, if you've got an Amazon Fire Stick or Fire TV and you've turned developer mode on there, uh, some folks have figured out ways to get malware into your Fire Stick and now monitor uh, what's going on uh, with your viewing habits. So, uh, and these are folks that are not Amazon, which you would kind of probably agreed to share that information with when you bought the Fire Stick or Fire TV. These are criminals that put malware in there to track and monitor your information or potentially do uh, other things to your device. So for the the folks that are going, um, you, maybe they you turned on developer mode so that you could block the tracking by Amazon and, and you ended up now with malware and tracking by somebody else. So these are, are areas where... Um, Security, safety, and, and privacy is, is, are all interacting all the time. So while we hit uh, for a little bit on mobile devices, 
there's some things you can do uh, there that are not a major uh, detractor for your ease of use. Uh, so I generally never have location services turned on. Uh, even for using uh, ride-hailing apps, you don't have to have location services turned on. Uh, you can just put the address of where you're at into the app um, or just even zoom around on the map, like put a zip code in, zoom around, you can figure out where you're at and put the little pin there to get picked up. Uh, in your, your phone operating system, there's a number of privacy settings uh, where you can go uh, decide what information you're going to share with who and allow uploading to where. Um, this applies to to both Apple and Android. So I would suggest going through the, the privacy and security settings um, on not only your phone at the operating system level, um, your computer. Uh, there's different information that your computer wants to be able to upload and share as well. Uh, and then inside any of the, the major applications where you are... Um, sharing information uh, where you're spending a significant amount of time, look at what their privacy settings are. Uh, one of the benefits of GDPR is folks should be translating their privacy policies, which were uh, something that may have been very difficult to read into something that should now be plain English. So you should be able to read a privacy policy and, if, and, and understand it with a, a high school education. Uh, this should no longer require years of a uh, data privacy legal experience beyond law school to, to understand anymore. If somewhere has an obfuscated privacy policy where it's not clear what you're sharing, how, and, and what's going on with it. Again, make some of those trade-offs of maybe I don't want to use that service or that application anymore. So one of the biggest spots where folks have, have given up privacy, I think, in a manner that they didn't understand or did not want to uh, agree to is with the installation of applications on your mobile devices. When you install that application, uh, especially in the Android world, um, they're making this better now, but if you, you rewind back a few years ago, these apps would be requesting, you would be installing a calculator that asked for and received permissions to your microphone, and then it would record your conversations and send those conversations across the internet. They would translate those into text, and then from your conversation could sell that information to advertisers. So if you ever had one of those moments a few years ago where you were talking about, you know what, I, I'm thinking about buying a yellow car, and then all of a sudden you're web browsing a little bit later and you started seeing advertisements for yellow cars, you weren't crazy. You were being listened to. Uh, and you may have been listened to in areas where you, you didn't voluntarily decide to be listened to, uh, where I think now with devices like Google Home and Alexa and, and a, a number of these other assistants, uh, I'll call them, uh, folks are voluntarily agreeing to be listened to uh, in order for efficiency again. And so you're trading some privacy for efficiency and simplicity. Uh, where it's really nice to just be able to uh, talk to that speaker in your house and say, hey, I would like to listen to some music right now. Can you put it on with volume 12? And you can do that, and you're exchanging, though, uh, potentially other privacy. Now, with the Google and Amazon have both got clear privacy policies with their devices that they're shipping out, and they're saying that they're only listening to commands after triggered, and they're not sending all your conversations back. Uh, we've seen some security exploits uh, around this recently. It's still not exactly clear, but uh, one that got disclosed with a, an Alexa device. Uh, someone's conversation was recorded and then sent to uh, another subscriber on there. So I think there's uh, some security uh, risks out there with, with anything, uh, but adding one of those uh, home devices, not likely any less secure than having a 
mobile phone sitting around. And by mobile phone these days, I mean smartphone. So uh, you're probably more likely to have some issues with your smartphone than you will with one of those uh, assistant home speakers. Uh, now, I personally don't have any of the home speakers um, around my house. I do have some security cameras. I have security cameras from multiple different vendors. Uh, so from th that perspective of providing a complete view on data there, and this is, is one that maybe is, is w more of a security decision than a privacy decision, I think I would be okay with any of my security camera vendors having a complete view of my house. Uh, but in the event that a, a, someone was looking to break into my house, um, if they were able to exploit one of my security accounts, uh, they would be able to take and disable those cameras. Um, but being able to get into all the accounts at once before um, I was able to notice that they were getting into them and turning them off is uh, not likely. So it lowers the likelihood at least a significant amount. So the, these are our areas to recap as we're getting ready to wrap up. Use a privacy-first browser, high-quality ad blocker. Turn off location services on your, your mobile device. Uh, turn off Bluetooth and Wi-Fi unless you need to have them on. Um, and, and be kind of thoughtful about that. Uh, you could look at at using a, a different uh, DNS provider, configuring that in your router at home uh, versus the one that you're using at work. You may not be able to configure your one at work, but you can go uh, onto your, your computer and you can look at the network settings and see the IP addresses of the DNS service you're using at work that your IT administrator is assigning you and pick a different one for home. Look, uh, you're going to get the one from your cell provider on your phone. There are different VPN apps and other things you could do on your phone and maybe kind of obfuscate that, but I personally don't do any of... of those and it starts to get real real complicated in a hurry you start to break a lot of things as you're uh, going through on the the financial side of stuff um, it doesn't make sense to carry around cash and try to pay everything with cash uh, you're not gonna be able to complete financial data privacy without breaking laws uh, or giving up your u.s citizenship or even giving up your your resident status if you're here on a, a visa or whatnot so you can choose, I think, on the financial side, if you want to spread your information out to give a whole bunch of folks incomplete information, or if you want to try to consolidate with one entity and, and give that one entity a, a more complete view, uh, but block uh, the other folks from having uh, any information or visibility into you. Uh, and then as you, you go through on the healthcare side, I think this is one where uh, you probably are, are more private and more obfuscated right now than you'd ideally would like to be. Uh, I think when you, you walk into a, a doctor's office, you walk into a, you uh, end up on an ambulance into an emergency room, you would want those medical professionals to have as complete and an accurate uh, perspective as they can uh, of uh, what's going on right now. Because uh, bad things can happen with uh, allergies, with drug interactions, with uh, all sorts of things if those uh, professionals are making decisions without the, the information they need. Um, that may be your private medical information, but it's very useful to uh, provide you quality care and potentially to keep you alive. So as you're out there, step one in all of this, though, really is just be informed, understand where you're trading privacy. And, and we'll uh, put up a blog post uh, on Tuesday here uh, after we air the program with the replay of this, as well as uh, with some resources where you can learn more about uh, data privacy and, and where are you making these trade-offs and exchanges of your privacy for functionality, security, safety, and ease of use.
Electronic files and digital data are the lifeblood of many businesses. With ransomware, malware, and global networks of criminal hackers who can attack and destroy from anywhere in the world, these files and data are now under constant threat. Here are three tips on how businesses can protect their data. 1. Begin with an encrypted off-site data backup. 2. Establish an active network defense against criminal hackers. 3. Secure your data when it travels outside of your office. All three steps are required to build an active security shield as sophisticated and multi-layered as the threat themselves. Learn more on cybertalkradio.com. Brought to you by Jungle Disk. Safe from accidents, safe from attacks, only with Jungle Disk, the number one data security suite for Main Street. Jungle Disk provides network security and backup solutions to shield your critical business data from system failure, human error, and cyber attacks. Reach out to learn more at junglediscs.com and let us know you heard about Jungle Disk on iHeartRadio.